This is Jameson Morton, and you're listening to Legalist Rainmaker Podcast, where we interview attorneys at top law firms about how they made partner. Our guest today on the podcast is Stephen Shackelford, a partner at Sussman Godfrey. Stephen graduated from Harvard Law School first in class in 2005 and very quickly made partner in 2010. We are very lucky to have him, and he's one of the younger partners we've had on here. Stephen, could you start by introducing us to your firm and your practice as a whole? Well, Sussman Godfrey does one thing only. We do civil litigation. We don't have a corporate department, bankruptcy, M&A, no white collar. It's all civil litigation in state and federal courts across the country. And it's really almost any kind of civil litigation you can imagine. And personally, I've done a lot of what the firm does. We have IP litigation. uh, We do False Claims Act work. We do a great deal of just commercial disputes, contract disputes, class actions, and we're pretty evenly split between plaintiffs and defendants when we're talking about who we represent. That's a great overview. And Stephen, I know you're an entrepreneur before becoming a lawyer. Could you tell us what your business is about? (laughs) It's uh, taken me back. Uh, A little bit out of college, I started a business called Polyvoice uh, with a good friend of mine. And we were trying to help nonprofits and political organizations use the Internet to more effectively connect with their current membership and to uh, to find new members. Unfortunately, we had uh, the technology we were working on. We could never get it to, to do exactly what we needed it to do. So it didn't work out. But I spent a lot of time going around trying to raise money, which is a, a good way to practice your public speaking. I'll tell you is asking people for money. Absolutely. You know, other than public speaking, is there anything else that you learned from running your own business that, you know, maybe later on proved helpful for a career in law? I learned a lot about just how businesses, how, how money works in businesses, something I think a lot of lawyers, especially associates who haven't had to get into running a firm yet, uh, you don't generally have that experience of understanding how your business clients, you know, the bottom line, the P&L, that sort of stuff. And putting together a lot of business plans for this company. We actually tried two different types of companies. Uh, Taught me at least the beginnings of of responsible uh, profit and loss uh, approach. And I think I've taken that to how I try to advise companies now and and how I try to pitch cases and fee arrangements and that sort of thing now. Yeah, so for associates who are just starting out, do you think it's valuable to have some experience outside the realm of law? I do think it's valuable. Obviously, uh, the, the easiest way it can be relevant is if, if you have experience in a certain industry or a certain uh, kind of business that you can pitch that, you can pitch to that kind of client. But I'll also tell you, uh, you know, we interview a lot of people, and, and I think most people would agree, if you've had a few years of experience doing something other than going to school you tend to be more mature in your approach uh, to, the, to your job. And associates who have done other things before they went to law school, who've been involved in business of some sort, who've had other jobs, tend to be the most, you know, tend to be more proactive in the way they approach the job as an associate, tend to go out of their way to try to figure out what to do next instead of just waiting for tasks to come their way. And in my experience, that's what makes the most successful associates. That's some of the advice I would give an associate is if you don't do it already, learn how to be proactive, learn how to think, you know, think about what other tasks need to be done in this case to get you to trial and to succeed. 
don't just do what the senior associates and partners are telling you to do. Absolutely. That's some really good advice. And Stephen, talking a little bit more about your experience, another highlight in your career is that you worked for GE from 2012 to 2015. You know, how did that come about and what did you learn from that experience? GE uh, was in the middle of my Sussman Godfrey experience. I started at Sussman Godfrey. I made partner and then uh, I left when this unusual opportunity came out to go to GE. I spent three years at GE and then I came back to Sussman Godfrey. So uh, and I did learn a great deal being in-house. Uh, I, I learned one of the most important lessons I learned, and GE is a wonderful company. They have one of the best legal departments out there, and they hire a ton of outside counsel. And I, I really learned and lived the experience of if you want to be hired by a, by a big company client, potential client, you got to be on their mind. They have to think of you when a big dispute comes up. And a place like GE, they have a big list of, of law firms they're willing to work with. Uh, and you can get on that list, but that's not enough. Uh, you've got to be top of mind uh, when a particular dispute comes in the door, if you're talking about a litigation firm, uh, in order to have your best shot at getting, getting the call about the case and pitching the case. So uh, you know, at a place like GE and at many other large companies, they have a lot of lawyers. And sometimes... Uh, the general counsel is the one who's deciding you know, who they might hire for a case. And sometimes it's an attorney down the line who's deciding. And they are going to naturally, when a dispute comes their way, uh, a couple of firms, two or three firms are almost certainly going to jump into their head as someone they should think about for the dispute. And it's, if you haven't been in front of that person or you haven't been communicating with that person or your firm hasn't been in touch with that person for several years, they're almost certainly not going to think of you, no matter how good you and your firm is. So one of the key lessons that I learned being in-house is you got to stay top of mind if you want to have a real shot at getting hired. That makes sense. And just to be clear, you were already a partner at Sussman Godfrey before working for GE. So in order to make partner, what major case did you bring in for the firm? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, if you're asking what cases I might have brought in or tried to bring in before making partner, uh, you know, I didn't have a big book of business when I made partner at Sussman. Uh, I think a lot of firms probably don't expect their youngest, their, their associates, even their senior associates to necessarily be bringing in a lot of cases. At Sussman Godfrey, what we value in our senior associates when we're looking to make partner is, as I said before, being proactive and, and ultimately being able to run a case. A partner wants to know that they could trust you to take over a case and run it if you're a senior associate figure out what has to be done next. Uh, I, I think I developed that skill by the time I was up for partner. I had brought in a, a, a false claims act case and also a pretty small commercial dispute, but I, I think that had less to do with me making partner than just having developed the skills to be able to run a case and where the partners could rely on me to do it. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, that I, I think, I think that's a key skill that any law firm will value if they're thinking about making you a partner. That's an excellent answer and quite wise. So you didn't have a big book of business before you made partner. Now that you're a partner, what do you think is key to building and maintaining a long-lasting book of business? Two great questions with two different answers. I think the key for most lawyers, and myself included, to being able to develop a book of business is focus on doing good work in the cases you have. Uh, especially for an associate, even a senior associate, 
you're just not likely to stand out on paper compared to a lot of you know fancy partners at a lot of firms, even at your own firm, when a general counsel or a head of litigation is looking at who to hire. And that's what my mentor at, at, at Sussman Godfrey told me early on. I said, as I was approaching the partner vote, what should I be doing to try to drum up business? And he said, look, you really can't worry about that now other than just doing good work. Because the best way to get more cases is to impress the people that you're already working with, impress your clients, impress your co-counsel, and even impress your opposing counsel. I've had in my career, I've had referrals from current clients, former clients, co-counsel, and opposing counsel. All of them have led to potential cases, at least to pitching cases. And those are the people who know you best. They, they refer you because they've seen your work and they think that you did strong work. Uh, and even if you're working on cases with a longtime client of the firm and you're working for a senior partner with a great relationship with that client, if you do great work, that client very well may come back either both to you and the senior partner and say, I want you both to handle my next case. Or even if it's a smaller case that's not appropriate for the senior partner, they may just come back to you. And I'll tell you, That's how I got my first big case. I had done a jury trial with a very senior partner at Sussman uh, and worked. We had co-counsel, who was a great lawyer and law firm in Dallas at the time, where I was at the time. And he had another big false claims act case he couldn't take. And he brought it both to me and the senior partner. And I don't know how most firms work, but my firm, you get a lot of credit. If If a client, even a longtime client comes back and says, I want both of you to, to work this case for me. You get some credit for it. And, and that particular relationship has led to a number of referrals going forward as I continue to do my best work for uh, working with this client or, or this lawyer or for people he's referred me to, sometimes with the senior lawyer and sometimes in cases where it made sense just with me. Uh, and so that's my main advice for, for building up a book of business is focus on doing the best work you can. And secondly, Focus on staying in touch with these people. You know, stay in touch. Keep top of mind with your former clients, with your former co-counsel, even with your former adversaries. Uh, keep in touch with them by email. Offer to take them out. You know, to let's go have lunch or breakfast or dinner or whatever it is. Even if they don't have time for you, they'll they'll like that you've at least tried to keep in touch with them. Uh, one of my senior partners at Sussman says. I think he's exaggerating a little bit, but he says, look, I go to 100 breakfasts over the course of, you know, half a year. That might lead to 10 pitches in one case, but that's worth it because, you know, one case is a great thing to bring in. Uh, so it's, you know, if you stay on top of mind through, through reaching out like that, if you see a company in the news or a law firm in the news or even an industry in the news, use that as an occasion to reach out. You're not pestering them. You're not trying to cross-examine them at lunch about everything that's going on. You're just trying to stay on their radar screen and make sure they remember that you're a, a, a good a good person, a good lawyer, and you, you're paying attention to them and to their industry. And that combined with doing good work, in my experience, is the best way to build a book of business. Now, and I hate to keep talking, but when you say, how do you keep a good book of business? It's really about communication. When you have a client, in my experience, and you're doing good work for them, that's not all you got to do to keep a client, a good client happy. You've also got to have great communication throughout the case with them. In my experience, a minority of clients might not care that much to know everything that's going on at any given moment, but most clients in my experience will want to any given moment. They'll want to know 
what's happened most recently, where are we going and why, and what are the key decisions coming up? And even beyond that, there are some clients, and in my experience, it's a lot of my clients, who want to be heavily involved in strategy, even in like reading briefs and editing briefs and preparing for argument and mooding you and all that stuff. And if you have a client like that, to keep them happy, and it's also good for the case, you want to keep them fully informed and fully plugged in with time to have an influence over the key decisions and the key work you're doing. And uh, if you do that, even if things go wrong, which for every lawyer, things are going to go wrong at times, you're going to lose motions, you're even going to lose cases if you try a lot of cases. Clients who you've kept in the loop the whole time are going to be the happiest clients even after a loss. And I can tell you, we have a couple of uh, tricks of the trade we use at Sussman Godfrey for that, but I, you know, where we, we keep an evergreen task list where we always are, every week we update it, it's assigned specific tasks to specific team members, explains what happened to them. We, we send that to the client every week along with the full internal trial team. And then every week we have a weekly call that we keep at the same day and time every week that the client's on, every lawyer on the team is on to run through the task list, make sure any questions are answered, get everybody's best thinking on the key issues. We do it every week, no matter what's going on. And we do that for all our cases. And, and for my mind, that keeps our client as happy as possible, no matter what's going on with the case, because they feel informed and they feel a part of the team. Yeah, the importance of good communication can't be emphasized enough. And you mentioned something very interesting. You always develop and maintain good relationships, even with your adversaries in court. We all know that arguments in court could be intense and sometimes hostile. So how do you manage that? Well, certainly, I mean, look, it's not going to work out every time. Uh, every lawyer will have cases where the opposing counsel is just always throwing bombs and you just can't get along no matter, no matter how hard you try. And sometimes you, know, you, know, you never want to. My personal approach is to try to cut through, cut to the chase uh, as, as much as possible, only fight about the things that are really going to matter to the case. But sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you have opposing counsel. You're going to have to fight a lot about a lot more. But you generally always try to be at least civil and, and, and even better than civil if you can. Judges like that more. And it's better for developing a practice. And I, you know, I'm not going to name names necessarily, but I can tell you I have somebody in mind I'm thinking of right now that I'm on the other side of a case on right now. We've gotten along really well. It is a hard-fought case. Uh, but we've come up with some great ways to, you know, very efficient ways that are good for both of our clients to litigate the case. And that opposing counsel has already uh, recommended us for a, for a case he had a conflict on that he couldn't take uh, that we actually pitched. Uh, we didn't end up doing that case for a variety of reasons, but he, he, he strongly recommended us for it and got us in the door to pitch it. And that wouldn't happen if you're being a jerk to opposing counsel all the time. Uh, and it wouldn't happen if they think uh, that you're not trustworthy or something. I mean, your, your, your ethics are critical. You, you, should, you should do the right thing and be honest all the time because it's the right thing to do, but it's also a way to make sure you're developing the kind of long-term relationships with, uh, even with lawyers on the other side that can, be, uh, that can be beneficial to your career going forward. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's multiple lawyers I've worked against uh, that I've kept up a good relationship with. And just this one I can think of right now who's re recently referred a case to us. And we've done the same. You know, we've had lawyers we've worked against that we've been impressed with when we can't take a case or we don't want to take a case for whatever reason that we've recommended them for it. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's about being a, a normal human being, you know, giving an extension when they ask for it if it's reasonable. 
uh, being cordial on the phone. It doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean giving in when you shouldn't. I mean, with this, uh, you know, we certainly fight the fights we need to fight. Uh, we just, we're, we're human about it and we're reasonable about it. And we try not to make fights when we don't have to. It sounds like a great way to go about it, honestly. So moving along a little bit, have you ever used litigation funding? And as it gets more popular, do you think it provides value for the legal world? Uh, yes to both questions. My firm is somewhat unusual. We vastly prefer to do cases on alternative fee arrangements, including a lot of pure contingent cases. Um, and in the New York office in particular, we rarely work by the hour. So we fund a lot of our own cases. Are we, are we, are we at least fund the, the, the lawyer time in it, right? We do contingent cases where all of our time, we don't get paid for our time. We get paid a piece of the, a piece of the action if we do well for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in those cases, and especially in very expensive litigation, like, say, antitrust litigation or IP litigation, um, we've had arrangements uh, with funders to, to fund the very expensive expenses for cases in exchange for a piece of the case. And that can be very valuable and useful. Um, we've also had cases that, that we handle on a hybrid basis. We'll do a, a partial flat fee and a partial contingent fee, and the flat fee portion of it uh, is handled by a funder. And I think that's useful. Uh, and I think um, we're seeing more and more of that. All right. Thanks for listening. Legalist is a tech-driven litigation finance firm that helps lawyers get paid. Rate our podcast and give us a review wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.